All right. Welcome to church this morning. I want to um, say a huge thank you. The Refuge Foundation had a golf tournament yesterday to raise money for uh, soccer. Soccer, sorry. Not, no, right. I have never felt like this after a golf tournament. So, <laughs> a soccer tournament and uh, huge success. So, for all of those that came out, even those that didn't play, thank you for supporting the Refuge Foundation, which is the, uh, the Guambuanos ministry in Nigeria where they help out uh, single moms, widows, and orphans. And so, I'm not sure what the total is, but I know it was a huge success. We had a lot of fun other than being run over by a fairly strong man, I had a good time. So um, that was the only downside. You know it's not good when you have to have your physical therapist come to the house and do work on you that night. So uh, that's what I call Uche, my physical therapist. <laughs> um, we're going to do things differently this morning. We have communion today, and we're also going to take the offering uh, later on as a part of a bit of an interactive sermon. Um, I want to highlight just a couple of things that are happening. Uh, we, I really want to emphasize next Sunday's meeting after church. Um, it's for, it is church. We want everybody in the family to stay, stick around. And, and we want to be able to talk about some of these major changes that are taking place. I want to be able to answer any questions that I can or even get questions that I can't answer and come back to you with answers. Um, but I do want to be able to take that time. Pastor Scott and Sam are going to be there to uh, maybe do uh, a little bit of talking. Really looking forward. That's really what we want. We want to take some time on Sunday afternoon to talk and look forward as to how we're going to make these adjustments and the vision and the strategy that we're going to take on um, uh, to help fill the, the void that's going to be left. So we're going to do that right after church. Pastor Jack is preaching uh, via video, I believe. So we're going to, which is great, because we then, unlike when I preach, when, which means you don't have any idea when I'll finish, um, we'll have it on video. So we'll be able to, like, okay, I started at a certain time and then get into the meeting after that. And then on the, the, the 17th, uh, the Dawkins last Sunday here, Pastor Scott's going to be preaching. And then we're going to have um, food, and we're going to stick around. They fly out that day. So we're going we're gonna to eat and potluck and and pray for them and love on them and uh, and just spend that afternoon uh, before they head to the airport and uh, do all that stuff. So we're going to do that that Sunday. Uh, that's their last Sunday, but he's going to be preaching that Sunday too, so uh, it's going to be a great Sunday. So come to that. And then uh, the outreach that we're doing, um, I know a lot of people asked about Thanksgiving. We're, the Christmas outreach, and we'll get more information to you. But one of the reasons why we joined with the other churches to do the Thanksgiving outreach is so that we could take more time and energy to invest in this neighborhood for the Christmas outreach. So we're going to do the meal, but we're also going to do gifts. So we really want to be able to go into that community and give gifts to those kids and share the gospel. Last year was the first year we joined with the churches over there on 32nd Street, and it, it freed us up at Christmas time to be able to do uh, drama and to do a lot more ministry to that community and share the gospel and do music and gifts. And so it's the 23rd, which is great this year. It's not Christmas Eve, so it's not cutting into that. It'll be on Saturday. So I just want to make sure you, you hear that. It's on Saturday, not Christmas Eve, which it is traditionally 
on Christmas Eve. And Christmas Eve, of course, is our Christmas service celebration. Um, I'm uh, really, really excited uh, to share this message this morning. Um, I've been uh, uh, going over this and over this for the last, uh, rarely do I get a message a week in advance. Like, that's, that's pretty rare. Rarely do I feel like God's speaking to me to share on a specific subject seven, eight, nine, ten days out. That's not a normal uh, thing for me. And this is something that's really been on my heart. And so I'm excited about sharing it. And there's some parts that were really hard for me to write, uh, really uh, convicting, like just in my face. And I might share a little bit of why in my face because uh, it is a little bit transparent, probably too, too uh, honest. But uh, I think that's important. So uh, this morning's message is entitled, A Deliberate Disposition. A Deliberate Disposition. Psalms 100 says, Shout joyfully to the Lord, all the earth. Serve the Lord with gladness. Come before him with joyful singing. Know that the Lord himself is God. It is he who has made us and not we ourselves. We are his people and the sheep of his pasture. Enter his gates with thanksgiving and his courts with praise. Give thanks to him. Bless his name, for the Lord is good. His loving kindness is everlasting, and his faithfulness to all generations. Heavenly Father, God, we come before you, and we recognize that your word is eternal. And Father God, it is your word that it brings both life and death, Father God, that it corrects, it challenges, it, it curses sin and darkness and speaks life, Lord Jesus, to those who are willing to receive it, God. And we thank you this morning that your word is going to be spoken to our hearts, God. Give us ears to hear what your spirit says to each and every one of us. Let our hearts receive it in the name of Jesus. Amen. It is, of course, Thanksgiving. And uh, this is a season where everyone likes to take time and say thank you and let the world know what we're thankful for. And it is important to make sure that we take time to recognize the things we are thankful for. It's important for us to recognize, uh, hey, this is, these are the things in my life that I'm so blessed to have in my life. I, I, I pray that we do it more than just once a year. Uh, I think it's important. You know, they have that old saying, don't count your chickens before they hatch. Don't count your blessings. I actually think as Christians, because of faith, we should be counting our blessings before. We have faith. Amen? We should take time to recognize how good God has been to us, now, regardless of how we might see other things. Not everything's going to go the way we want it to. And in, because of faith, we have the privilege and the honor of being able to look back at our lives and know where God withheld something we had asked for, and it was to our benefit. And we can be, look back and go. I know in the moment we can get angry, in the moment we can be frustrated, like sometimes like petulant children where we're angry with God because we wanted something, like my son who wants that ice cream before dinner and it ruins dinner, or that, you know, the, we've all probably had our children eat a lot of sugar before going on a roller coaster, even though you told them not to eat a lot of sugar before going on the roller coaster. And then, you know, my dad used to, if because it happened a lot. My dad used to, instead of buying me, the first time it happened, he bought me a cool shirt from Magic Mountain. But after that, he was like, I'm not buying. Every time I got sick, because I ate what I, he's like, I don't think you should eat that. Oh, no, Dad, I'll be fine. Every time I got sick because I ate what I wanted to, the shirt he replaced my other shirt with was not something I ever wore again, you know. 
was like a pink shirt with Scooby-Doo on it or something. I got sick, sick going up to Magic Mount or to Big Bear when I was a kid. And uh, the, the shirt, the Big Bear shirt he bought me was so hideous. I was like, and then, of course, my, my dad's the youngest of 12, okay? So we get up to the top of the hill, and he's like, photograph? I'm like, no, Dad, not in this shirt. <laughs> you know? I'm like, and then he's the kind of guy who's like, are you sure you want to? And the next time, we're getting ready to go down the hill. You sure you want to eat that? Uh, I better not. <laughs> right? But sometimes we are like that as children of God. Sometimes we're, we're, we're begging God for what we want right now in this moment. And because of faith and because of our relationship with Christ, he, he honors us by allowing us to look backwards and going, thank you, God, for not giving me what I had asked for, um, recognizing that Oddly enough, God seems to know what he's doing. And uh, so Thanksgiving is a big time for that. It's, but it is much more than saying thank you. Because Thanksgiving is more than just saying thank you. It's being thankful. And there is clearly a difference. There's a difference between being polite and knowing your P's and Q's and being able to understand when you're supposed to say you're welcome and when you're supposed to say thank you and when you're actually a thankful person. That's why they wrote that song, right? Give thanks with a grateful heart. It seems repetitive, but it's not. You can give thanks and not have a grateful heart, right? You can, you can come in and say all the right things, sing all the right songs, even on key, and still not have a grateful heart. And the Bible teaches us that having a grateful heart is crucial, crucial to what God wants to do in our lives. Luke 17 tells of a story of 10 lepers. While he was on his way to Jerusalem, that being Jesus, he was passing between Samaria and Galilee. As he entered a village, ten leprous men who stood at a distance met him, and they raised their voices and said, Jesus, Master, have mercy on us. And when he saw them, he said to them, Go and show yourselves to the priest. And as they were going, they were cleansed. Now one of them, when he saw that he had been healed, turned back, glorifying God with a loud voice, and he fell on his face at his feet, giving thanks to him. And he was a Samaritan. Jesus answered and said, were there not ten cleansed, but nine, where are they? Was no one found who returned to give glory to God except this foreigner? And he said to him, stand up, go, your faith has made you well. Now a lot of people teach that this is a reflection, that the only one who kept their healing was the leper who came back and gave thanks. Right? They like to point out the fact that he came back and said, now your faith has made you well, go, go and, and your faith has made you well. But I don't, I don't believe that's what this story is actually talking about. In fact, I'm going to read, I'm going to read uh, just in front of this in, in Luke chapter 17, verse 7. I'm going to read probably one of the most unpopular passages in the gospel. Luke chapter 17, verse 7. Which of you, having a slave plowing or tending sheep, will say to him when he was coming from the field, come immediately and sit down to eat? But will, will he not say to him, prepare something for me to eat and properly clothe yourselves and serve me while I eat and drink, and afterward you may eat and drink? He does not thank the slave because he did the things which were commanded, does he? So you too, when you do all of this th these things which are commanded to you, say, we are unworthy slaves. We have done only that which we ought to have done. This is Jesus talking. He's talking to us. And he says, do you say, should I say to you, good job, you did what you were supposed to, right? Do you thank him? This is the verses, do you thank him for doing what was commanded? I get into a really bad habit at my house. If, if 
my kids do something I ask them to do, I say, I say thank you. And I say it's a bad habit because I want to, I, I treasure words. I, I try to use them wisely. And I want to say thank you. When I come home, <laughs> this is rare, but when I come home and Jay's cleaned his room without being asked, I want to come home. When I see that, I want to say, thank you, Jay. If I come home and he's done the dishes, and I don't want to, I don't want to waste that word where it's like, oh, he doesn't mean it, right? He, he, doesn't, he doesn't mean it because he says it all the time. I want it to mean when he knows. My dad's really proud of me. He thanked me for doing something I didn't, he didn't ask me to do, right? It's important that we, that we recognize those types of things. In this, Jesus is saying, hey, do you thank somebody for doing what's commanded of them? Right? And I'm referencing this. You're like, oh, this is a terrible passage. I'm going to get to it and why it matters, especially in the time in which we live. Now, I don't believe that the story of the ten lepers is about that healing. What I do believe is it's a glimpse of the reality of the human condition. This is a glimpse of the reality of this human condition that we call sin, this selfish ambition, this self-absorbed society in which we live in. And what I mean by that is only one out of ten will give thanks. Only one out of ten will respond to a healing, an unbelievable healing. Here he uses the story of leprosy because leprosy was the disease nobody wanted. You were a total outcast, okay? On top of the fact that it was painful and grotesque, you weren't allowed. Imagine, imagine if you had to shout out your flaws everywhere you went. If you had to walk into a room and said, look out, short bald man coming in. How humiliating would that be? Right? Let me be like, oh, let's just talk about these short, you know, let's talk about our flaws. They had to walk around, and anytime they encountered anybody else, they had to yell, unclean. Unclean. So people would say, oh, get away from that dude. He's got leprosy. Right? Jesus heals them of leprosy. Only one of them comes back to say thank you. Only one of them. He doesn't come back to say thank you. He comes back to glorify God. The Bible says that he came back, fell on his face at Jesus' feet, and said thanks. Right? Talk about an unbelievable statement. I believe that this is a glimpse of, of human, humanity. That only one out of ten will actually respond to something so profoundly beautiful as being healed of leprosy. And listen, being healed of leprosy is nothing compared to being healed of our eternal curse. To know that we're condemned by sin, to spend eternity apart from God, and that Jesus comes and cleanses us of that curse, right? I believe this is a glimpse of the fact that really only one out of ten. In fact, I would go as far as to say I believe this defines the remnant that we always talk about. Who are those that are set apart? Who are those that stand out? Who are those that God is looking for when he says, who can I send? It's the one out of ten who says, here I am, Lord. Send me. The remnant, right? We always look at the warrior or the remnant as the warrior, right? We look at it and we go, that's who that is. It's the warrior. It's the worshiper. It's the preacher. It's the, that's who the remnant is. I, I disagree. I think there's one quality that defines the remnant, and it's gratitude. It's gratitude. The ability to be, to be able to say, to not just say but be thankful. Do you know that the definition of gratitude is to have a feeling of thanks to the point of returning the kindness. 
to reciprocate. To being so thankful that you reciprocate what's been done. You walk up to the door. I'm getting to the age now where when I walk up to a place, sometimes people open the door for me. You know, I go, look at this old guy. No, I'm just kidding. But, they, <laughs> but somebody comes, you walk up, they hold the door for you. Right? And if it's a double set of doors, what do you typically do? You get up there and you open the next door. Right? Because you're grateful. Why? Because somebody did something they didn't have to do. When you recognize that somebody did something they didn't have to do, that's usually when a sense of gratitude, thank you. Why? You didn't have to do that. When somebody does something for you and you go, man, you didn't have to do that. I didn't earn that. I'm not your boss. I, didn't, I don't deserve what you just did. A sense of gratitude arises. And what do you usually want to do? You want to reciprocate. Okay? You want to reciprocate. That's an attitude of gratitude when you realize, okay, wait a minute. Gratitude isn't just saying thanks. Right? This isn't like Eddie Haskell. Right? Anybody in here remember Eddie Haskell? No? Not very many people. I knew you want to admit it. All right, leave it to Beaver. Eddie Haskell was the next-door neighbor who was sleazy, but, man, he said all the right things. He walked in, yes, Mrs. Beaver, absolutely, but behind, whenever the parents walked away, he was up to no good. But he always said thank you. He always said please. He always put on that nice shine to make sure that the parents thought he was a great kid. Right? The Eddie Haskell kind of faith, where it's like we say all the right things, but do we have a grateful heart? Is there a sense of gratitude in us, a feeling of thankfulness to the point of wanting to reciprocate, right? You think, well, wait a minute. Is that really what the gospel is about, reciprocation? The Bible teaches us that we love him. Why? Because he first loved us. We love him. Why? That's reciprocation. Why do we love him? Because he first loved us. That while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. He is always the preeminent. He is always going first, right? That he knows our thoughts and needs even before we ask. That's the God we worship. That's the God we serve. He's always, he knocks, we answer, right? He chases, he pursues, he bought us with his blood. That's the gospel, right? Him doing something. And what happens to us. It's not something that should be compelled or contrived. It's something that should be natural to us. A sense of gratitude. You can't force somebody to be grateful. If you're a parent, you know that. Right? You cannot force somebody to be grateful. As hard as you would like to, you can't force somebody to be grateful. Because gratitude is it's a condition of the soul. It's an attitude in our hearts. It's not, it's not a production. That's not gratitude. Gratitude is not checking off all the lists, making sure that I do all the right things, say all the right things, make sure that my performance is up to par. That's not gratitude. Gratitude is what's in your heart. It's having a perspective that says, I'm so thankful for what I don't deserve that I'm going to reciprocate. That's what gratitude means. Now, it's not warriors or fighters or worshipers or givers or goers, but gratitude. It's grateful. It's the grateful who will be the remnant. Now, I believe that out of a position of gratitude, people become warriors. I believe that the reciprocation takes shape as I'm going to become a fighter. I'm going to become a worshiper. I'm going to become a giver. I'm going to become a goer because of my gratitude, because I'm reciprocating, because I'm responding. I'm so thankful for what he's done for me. I want to do something, right? These 
are those, that's what it talks about. These are the manifestations of gratefulness, right? If you, if you have a prayer life, it's a manifestation of your gratitude. You're, you're spending, I'm not saying if you pray, because sometimes we pray out of fear and anxiety. I'm saying if you have a prayer life, and there is a difference. You go, no, I pray. When? You might pray out of need. I'm talking about a prayer life. I'm talking about setting aside time to spend with God. If you have a prayer life, it's rooted in your gratitude, in your grateful heart, in my opinion. Right? It's rooted in that. Just like if you're fighting for God. Why? Why? One of my favorite, and, and this is probably most guys, but mo- one of my favorite analogies of God are that one of my favorite um, descriptions of God is king. Right? I, I don't know. I just love it. Like the idea that he's, he's my king. Right? This is who I represent. This is who I fight for. This is who I, I serve, my king. Right? And, and when I look at that, you go, do I worship? I worship from a position of gratitude. Why? Why? I'm grateful. Grateful for what God's done. Right? If I go out into the world to share the gospel, it's because I'm grateful. These are the manifestations of gratefulness. I believe that if you want to be any number of these things, it begins with gratitude. Gratitude means to have feelings of thankfulness to the point of return of, of to the point of returning that kindness. 2 Timothy 3, verse 1 says, But understand this: that in the last days there will come times of difficulty. For people will be lovers of self, lovers of money, proud, arrogant, abusive, disobedient to their parents ungrateful and unholy. Understand this, that in these last days, there will come times of difficulty, for people will be lovers of self, lovers of money, proud, arrogant, abusive, disobedient to their parents, ungrateful and unholy. What is it, what makes, what, what is it to be ungrateful and what makes us ungrateful? What I think makes us ungrateful is when we think we deserve what we have or have not received what we deserve sense of entitlement, right? This is probably the hardest part. As a pastor, as somebody who spends an awful a lot of time working and serving and feeling like I'm doing it for God, it's very easy to allow an ungrateful sense come. If things don't go the way you want them to, if you, it's very easy to find yourself in a conversation in which you're like, seriously, God? I can't, I'd, I'd be lying if I didn't say honestly that there are times I've said, after all I've done, I would just be lying to you. If, I, if I, my prayer life, when me and God get alone, there are times when I'm just like, for real, right? You know, thankfully, I'm pretty honest, and the Holy Spirit and I have a pretty good relationship, and he goes, what have you done? <laughs> and the conversation ends pretty quickly in which I've done something. <laughs> but it's true. It's true. It, this sense of un- ungratefulness comes from this idea of you owe me something, God. You owe me something. Look at what I've done. Look at how I've stepped out. Look at the things that I've set out to do for you. Look at the sacrifices that I've. Can you imagine? Think for a moment standing before Jesus and telling him about the sacrifices you've made. It happens. When you're being honest and sincere, you're like, Jesus, come on, man. Look at what I've done. Right? No other God would be as kind and patient. Right? No other God sends their son to die to be nailed to a cross and still be tolerant of one of his children saying, I make sacrifices. 
right? That's how you know he's not man. That's how you know he's divine. That's how you know the love and grace of God is real. Because any other, if he were man, he'd be like, what did you say to me? Sacrifice. Sacrifice. You think that's sacrifice? I made a sacrifice. But he doesn't. Jesus doesn't act like that. He patiently waits. Right? Ungratefulness, is, it's a root. It causes us to be angry. It causes us to be anxious. It causes us to be frustrated. Because we have a perception of what God owes us. We have a perception. There's a story in the Bible about vineyard workers in which the master of the field walks out and he goes to hire people. And the first person he hires, the first few people he hires, they negotiate a price. I'm not working for you until we figure out what I get out of working for you. And so they negotiate a price, and as the day goes on, the master continues to go out and find new workers. And towards the last hour of the day, he goes out and he finds some more workers. In fact, the story in the Bible kind of makes it sound like he's just hiring people because they need work. He goes, what are you guys doing, sitting around doing nothing? Why don't you come and work for me? So he hires them. But the last guy he hires, there's a conversation change. The last guy says, allows the master to say, I'll pay you what I think is right. See, all the other previous guys established what he was going to pay. If I'm going to work for you, this is what you're going to pay me. The master said, I'll hire you. Let's go to work. In this story, the last guy allows the master to decide what he's going. I'll pay you what is right. And at the end of the day, all of the men come before him, right, starting with the guy he hired last. The guy he hired last, he pays what he negotiated for the guy he hired first. So the guy he hired first is thinking, dude, if he paid that guy that only worked an hour, what he negotiated with me, I'm going to get paid. And he gets to that guy, and he gives them exactly what they had agreed to. And the guy becomes angry. He says, how can you do this? In the story, the master says, wait a second, stop. Did I not pay you what we agreed to? Right? Did, did I... Did I do something wrong? Did I not pay you what we agreed to? Right? I love that story because it reminds me, if I would just let God, if I would trust him, if I would just then let him decide what my blessing is going to be, it's always better than what I think. Right? But sometimes we find ourselves negotiating. Look, if I'm going to do this, this is what I'm going to get for it. Right, God, if you're going to ask me, and that's, it creates a sense of ungratefulness. All of a sudden now, I'm, I'm entitled to what God's blessing. I'm entitled to what I believe I deserve because of what I've done in his name. Right? And that changes everything because in the end times, we have these ungrateful. It's right next to unholy in that list. Ungrateful, unholy. Two things you don't want to be. Right? But that ungratefulness, it robs us of the most important thing, which is our gratitude. Right? Giving thanks with a grateful heart. Come into his courts with thanksgiving. Come into his courts with thanksgiving. That's what the Bible teaches us. 1 Corinthians 4, 7. For who regards you as a superior? What do you have that you did not receive? And if you did receive it, why do you boast as if you did not receive it? Hebrews 12, 28. Therefore, since we have received a kingdom which cannot be shaken, let us show gratitude by which we may offer to God an acceptable service with reverence and awe. For our God is a consuming fire. What are these passages talking about? Talking about the ability to be grateful. How? By focusing on what we don't deserve. But this one says, if any of you says you have something that you did not receive, then it's true, you're a liar. Everything you have, you received. All good gifts come from God. 
right? All good gifts, us, our ability to recognize that anything God grants to us, anything God gives to us, anything God blesses us with is something we have not earned. We don't deserve it. And the fact, the fact, mercy, by definition, is the fact that we don't get what we do deserve. That's mercy, that the only one who has the authority to treat us the way we deserve to be treated does not treat us the way we deserve to. That's mercy, right? And when we peel back our selfishness, when we step aside and go, wait a second, God, we can become so obsessed with what's right in front of us that we aren't grateful, right? And you might think, well, is, is gratefulness really that important? Yes. Yes. In fact, and I'll skip up in my notes, but in fact, in Ephesians 5, it says, immorality or impurity or greed must not even be named among you as it is proper among saints. And there must be no filthiness or silly talk or coarse jesting which are not fitting, but rather thankfulness. Paul literally says you have to replace the old you with a thankful you. Not with the new you, with the thankful you. Get rid of the coarse, get rid of the filthiness, get rid of the, the disgusting behavior and replace it with thankfulness. Right? Be grateful. Sometimes, and my, and, and anybody, you guys were just at my house last night. My backyard is, is, is it's a mess. And still, somehow, and I, I don't know why, still somehow I find myself sitting in it and being so grateful. Like, man, God, you are so good to me. You are so good to me. Right? Now, it's a mess. I planted the seed. I water it. I mow it. Right? I, I, I do that. I never once look around my yard, and I don't know why that is. I don't know why that is, because there's a lot of things I look around and go, man, I did a good job on that. <laughs> For some reason in my backyard, I don't. I just sit there as the weather cools with my feet, with my bare feet and the wet grass, and I just think, God, why are you good to me? Right? Why are you so good to me? We have an above-ground pool in the summer, and same thing. Got this above-ground pool that you have to crouch just to get your whole body wet, which is rough for somebody who's short. Like, this pool is not deep. Like, it's not, if you ever had an above-ground pool, that's how you hang out. Splash the water up. Sometimes I'll get the noodle and put it behind my arms and just lean back. And just think, God, why are you so good to me? Why are you so good to me? Right? I could at times, why, why not sit there and say, God, why don't I have an in-ground pool? Right? Why don't I have a nicer house? Why haven't I had a raise? Why, why, God? Why? I could choose to focus on things that aren't going the way that I want them to go. I could choose to obsess about how I think God should have done something by now in these areas. Right? And sometimes I do. And you know what happens? I become ungrateful. And when I become ungrateful, I become mean. I become frustrated. I become angry. Right? And I start walking around this place with a broom, sweeping things up, frustrated that teenagers come here, mess it up. Why do teenagers come here? Right? That's how I feel sometimes. Right? And I have to focus. I have to stop and go, wait a minute, that's not right. That's not right. And this morning, I want us to take a moment. And I, I, I titled it, a, a Deliberate Disposition. Right? And I've got a couple of pictures here that I'm, I'm going to put up. Right? One of my favorite things to study for in my free time 
is like FBI profiling. I, I just like behavioral analysis, right? And it works. When I first started studying body language, I'd get kids. <laughs> I remember the first time. I won't use their name. But they came in and sat down, and I was just kind of in my free time studying behavioral analysis and what your body does when you're lying. They sat down next to me. I made sure there was no desk. You know, I did it. I followed the book. Put, put them right there. So where were you guys last night? Oh, they started talking. That's a lie. What? And, and I didn't ask them, are you telling me the truth? Because then it gives them. I just said that's a lie. Instantly, they confessed. Like, I was like, dang, man, I should be in the FBI. <laughs> but you, when you study it, there's something that happens. You understand something. Our, out, our physical bodies respond and, and act in a way that reflects what's going on inside of us. Our physical bodies. There are certain things that are, without working, there are certain things that our face does. There's certain things that our bodies do. There's certain ways that we cross our arms, depending on, there's certain things that take place, right? People, they come in, they sit a certain way in church. I can tell whether or not they're open to what I'm saying or whether or not they're not open to what I'm saying. And even though they're not consciously doing it, they're subconsciously doing it. Their bodies are responding to what's going on inside of them. It's kind of a, a posturing it's a body language thing, right? And that's what takes place. And I, I took some pictures. I didn't take them. I grabbed some pictures to talk to you briefly about that, a posturing, right? So throw up that, the posture number one. So in this, you have, here you have the outward body responding to what the inward body is feeling, right? I don't know if you've ever been on a roller coaster. Like, unless you're terrified, if you go on a roller coaster and you're not terrified, it's almost impossible not to raise your hand. Be like, I'm going to go on this. Now, if you're terrified, you may not say anything. I don't know how you were. I didn't ride a roller coaster until I was 12 because I was terrified, right? And then I rode a roller coaster when I was 12, and I thought, where have you been my whole life, you know? Like, this is the greatest. But the first time I rode a roller coaster, I was like white-knuckled, right? And then when it was over, I was like, that was awesome, you know? And then you get to it. There's something that happens. Your outward body is telling the world what your inner body feels, right? There's, a, there's this, like, inner body that's going, this is how I feel. Go to posture number two. Right? Now, it's a U2 concert, right? I, I, I bring this up because this, this is serious to me. That's a U2 concert. What are they worshiping? There's something happening inside of them. They're so excited, it's natural. That's a natural response. You, you, like, I'm so excited. Go to the next one. I'm so excited. That's not even a band. It's a DJ. What are they so excited? I, I look at these things. They're... And I think to myself, I go to church with nobody. No, there's no expression. There ain't anything happening inside of us, right? What are they excited about? I don't even know who that is, but it's a DJ. He's just scratching. And they're excited. Go to the next picture. Right? They just scored a goal. That was at the tournament yesterday. <laughs> Right? This is, this is an uninhibited, this is, I'm, I'm expressing how I feel. Okay? 
I'm expressing. There is a physical posture. There is a physical posture to the way we live our lives and all that we do, right? When something excites you, when you see something that you connect with, that you associate with, whether it's music or whether it's a sport, and it goes your way, everybody responds the same way. Have you ever wondered why 50 years ago, 75 years ago, 100 years ago, you could be at a, and their battlefield takes place. One army is winning. The other army is not. They don't speak the same language. But guess what? When the army catches up to the other army and they've got them surrounded, do they tell them in their own language what to do? Or is it totally understood and natural to surrender? The guns come up. I don't speak your language, but what do they do when they come out of that bunker? They're like this. Why? Because somewhere deep inside of us, we understand there is a physical description to what surrender looks like. Right? A physical description. There's a physical description to what jubilation looks like. There's a physical description to what excitement looks like. In the same sense that we have a physical posture, we have a spiritual posture. We have a spiritual posture. Right? And in that definition of posture is the word stance. And the Bible teaches us that there is elementary teachings to our faith. Elementary teachings. And I'm going to tell you, if you decide to play a new sport... The first thing they teach you is your stance. It doesn't matter what the sport is. If you're playing baseball, they go, baseball, that other sport, I'm not sure what it is. If you're playing baseball, where do they start you with? If you're in the field, they set your feet. If you're at the plate, they set your feet. If you're a boxer, it's your stance. If you're a golfer, it's your stance. If you play volleyball, it's your stance. Right? It doesn't make a difference what it is. When a coach comes in and says, I'm going to make you successful, the first thing he wants to teach you it's how to stand. There's a spiritual posture. It's the basics of our faith. And you know what it starts with? Gratitude. Gratitude is a posture. It's a stance. All right? If you look up the definition, definition of stance, you discover a word, disposition. It's a disposition. Now, we could all, some of us, you were like, I know people that have a natural disposition to be grateful. And I know people that don't have a natural let me explain something to you why it's important. Because when you're learning this new sport with stance, there are two things that your stance does. Your stance affects your preparation for whatever's going to happen, and it affects your delivery. It affects your preparation. The Bible teaches us be anxious for nothing. My preparation. Rejoice in the Lord always. Again, I say rejoice. Let your gentle spirit be known to all men. The Lord is near. Be anxious for nothing, but in everything, by prayer and supplication, with thanksgiving. Let your requests be known to God, and the peace of God, which surpasses all comprehension, will guard your hearts and minds in Christ Jesus. When we're talking about having a spiritual posture, a disposition, all right? Yeah, we're going to work on our stance. What is our spiritual posture? It starts with gratitude. It's gratitude. If it's not gratitude, then it's compulsion. You're being compelled or condemned, right, to do something for God. God doesn't want you to be condemned to do something. In Christ, there is no condemnation. He doesn't want you to be compelled to do something, right? He doesn't want you. In, in Corinthians 9, it says, don't give out of compulsion. Give out of how God purposes in your heart. The root, the base, the start, the elementary teachings of Christ begin 
with gratefulness. It's a gratitude. It's recognizing that God, who created everything, sent his son to die. Why? Because he loved us so much. Do I deserve his love? Nope. Did I earn his love? Nope. Have I earned his love? Nope. So then I should be thankful. On what terms? To give thanks or to be grateful? Do I just say thank you? Right? I say thank you to any. I say thank you to the person who gives me the Starbucks, and I paid for it. I'm the kind of sucker that says thank you when they make it wrong. Right? Does that mean I'm truly grateful? Nope. It means that somewhere along the lines, I've learned what it means to be polite, and I'm like a robot. I'm going to be polite. But when I'm grateful, I reciprocate. When I'm grateful, it causes me to act. It causes me to respond. It causes me to do things in an effort to declare. Like the leper, when he falls at his feet and says, let me glorify God because you healed me. It causes me to respond. Sometimes it's a physical response. Sometimes I come in and I dance and I sing and I get crazy in my own private time because I'm so grateful for what God has done in my life. Sometimes I go out. And I share. Sometimes I work. Sometimes, but I'm responding from what? This posture, this beginning position of gratitude. I'm recognizing that my stance is where everything else succeeds. The preparation, right? My stance helps me be prepared for what's going to happen. If I'm at first base, if I'm in the outfield, right? My stance determines whether or not I'm prepared to make a play. My stance determines whether or not I can deliver a punch, a drive, right? My stance does that. Same thing in our spiritual lives. Our stance of gratitude determines whether or not we're prepared for what comes our way, right? If I'm not prepared, if my stance isn't one of gratitude, the first sign of trouble in my life, and I, I'm not prepared for it, I'm, I'm, I'm instantly blaming God for what's going on. Oh, I'm caught off guard. This is not what I signed up for. I was under the impression that once I gave my life to you, you were going to fix my life. I was under the impression that once I put money in the offering, you were going to make me rich. I was under the impression that once I said it, you were going to take care of it, right? And because my position isn't rooted in gratitude, I'm not ready for what life throws my way, right? Therefore, I can't deliver. I can't deliver that throw. I can't deliver that punch. I can't deliver what I need to deliver because I wasn't prepared because my stance wasn't right, right? And then you have... The two types of posture or disposition. You have the natural disposition and you have the adopted disposition. The natural disposition is just that. It's in our nature. Some of you, really nice by nature. Some of you, not so much. So, so we, some of you are really grateful by nature. Some of you are really generous by nature. Some of you, but the truth is this. You could, you could say, I, I hit the jackpot, God blessed me, gave me a great disposition. The truth is, we all have the option to have the adopted disposition, a deliberate disposition. One that says, I'm going to learn to have a stance of gratitude. One that says, I want my beginnings, my basic understanding of the gospel to be rooted in gratitude. And the only way I know how to do that is to focus on the things I don't deserve. I don't deserve God's blessing. I don't deserve salvation. I don't deserve even the anointing. I don't deserve the things that God has put. I don't deserve the marriage and the wife that I have. 
And if you knew us long enough, you would say, oh, you definitely, I did not deserve for God to fix that relationship. I didn't. I had done things that damaged it. And in the, apart from Christ, it was done. I didn't earn that. I didn't deserve that. God did that, right? I don't, for all the beatings that my boys take from this pulpit, I don't deserve the boys that I have. And my daughter, I don't, I don't deserve her faithfulness to me and how she treats me, even though she knows I'm not her biological father, yet she treats me like I'm her biological father. She wants to talk to me. She, she showers me with attention, right? She didn't have to do that. She could be mean. She could be cruel. She could, never once, two, three, four, I don't even know how long now, 17 years. Never once, never once has she ever looked at me and in an attempt to be mean said, you're not my dad. Never once. I don't know any other step. I've never met another stepdad who could say that. Never once. She's been that good to me. I don't deserve that. I didn't earn that. Right? Now, I could focus on the fact that she's not perfect, be ungrateful. I could say to God, I opened up a youth center. I help other people's kids. What are you doing? Right? Or I could choose to say, whoa, whoa. And it is a deliberate disposition. Right? It's a deliberate. I am Italian in blood. Right? That means I'm cynic to some degree, a little bit skeptical. I have to have a deliberate disposition. I have to consciously choose to focus on the things that I should be grateful for, things that I haven't earned, ways in which God has been good to me, not because I gave to him, not because I serve him, not because I've been faithful to him, but simply because he's a good God. And when I focus on that, I, all of a sudden now I find the energy and the joy and the excitement of doing some things and serving him in an even greater capacity when maybe I would have decided to quit. Maybe I would have decided to give up because you know what? It just isn't fair. It just isn't fair. And if I don't stop long enough to go, wait a second, I just told God it isn't fair. Wait, is that, do I want to toy with God that way? Do I want to ask God to give me what's fair? Do I want to ask God to give me what I deserve? Or do I want to rejoice over what God has done for me? I love this verse in Hebrews. In which it says, Hebrews 12, Therefore, since we receive a kingdom which cannot be shaken, let us show gratitude by which we may offer to God an acceptable service with reverence and awe. For our God is a consuming fire. Now, you can look at it. We love the concept of consuming fire. I look at it and I go, since we've received the kingdom which cannot be shaken, when you read this entire paragraph, he's talking about consuming the things that are not of God with fire. This is not the consuming fire we sing about around the campfire. This is the consuming fire in which God consumes that which is not his. It's not, it's eternal. He goes, hey. Since we have received a kingdom which cannot be shaken, let us show gratitude by which we may offer to God an acceptable service with reverence and awe for our God is a consuming fire. And guess what? He's not consuming us. He's a consuming fire. And guess what? He's preserving us. Guess what? He's restoring us. Guess what? He's rebuilding us. Guess what? He's taking the crooked things in our lives and making them straight. The broken things in our lives and healing them and fixing them and putting them back together. Guess who's doing that? A God who's so powerful, he can snuff our life out just like that. But he doesn't because he loves us. 
because we love him. That's something to be grateful for. That's something that we should, there should be a physical reaction to our spiritual posture in which we realize, you know what, God, I am grateful. I'm grateful that you have a plan for me. And I don't know that plan yet, but I'm grateful for it. Not grateful like, thanks, God. Grateful like, God, I'm going to live my life for you. Why? Because you have a plan for me. And the Bible tells me that those plans are for a hope and for a future. God, I'm grateful for the children you're raising my kids, for the men and women you're raising my kids up to be. Do I understand it? No. But I'm just going to continue to believe that, God, you're so good to me that I'm, as long as I'm obedient to you, you're going to take care of my family. You're going to take care of this church. You're going to take care of all the things that I lay before you to take care of because you're faithful. Do I deserve it? Did I earn it? Is it because last year I gave X amount of dollars? Is it because I spent this many hours? On? No, it has nothing to do with that. It has to do with only the goodness of God. And it is the goodness of God that stirs up inside of us a sense of gratitude that causes us to reciprocate. And what the world needs more than anything is a bunch of grateful Christians, sons and daughters of the Most High, who have adopted a disposition that belongs to Christ, not the disposition they inherited. They've decided, I want a deliberate disposition, the one that Jesus offers me, one that forgives the unforgivable, one that loves the unlovable, one that offers and is generous to the person who doesn't believe it, one that doesn't give up, let go, or run away. That's the disposition I want, and it's rooted in the idea that he loved me, and I didn't deserve to be loved. He saved me, and I didn't deserve to be saved. And he uses me, and I don't deserve to be used. Because of that, I'm grateful. Grateful to the point that I want to respond and reciprocate. Can I have the worship team come back up? This morning is communion. And as the worship team comes up, I'm going to ask the ushers to, to get ready to pass out communion. And I said we're going to do things differently. We're going to do communion. And then we're going to take the offering. And I, I, I really struggled with doing it this way because I don't want you to think that the only way you can reciprocate is by giving money. I think that's a cheap trick. I, I don't, I don't, I, in fact, I think it keeps more of God's people out of the mission field than probably should be in the mission field because somehow we've decided that giving money is the most powerful thing you can do with your faith, and I just don't believe that. But it is the only functional way that I thought we can interact. It's the only way I can say, how do we begin to put this into practice immediately? Jesus did something first, and he always does. He is the preeminent one. Whatever your problem is, whatever your circumstance is, Jesus is already there. He's already working on it, already taking care of it, even before you've asked. Jesus is already operating and moving in your life, even in the areas you have yet to confess to him. Why? He's preeminent. It may not be going as fast as you would like to, but that doesn't mean it's not going. God is faithful. Faithful, the Bible says, to finish what he began. So if in your own life or in the life of someone you love, God began a work, he is faithful to finish that work. The Bible teaches us that his word never returns void. It never ceases to accomplish the very thing it was sent out to accomplish. Now, I know our timing becomes an issue, but God's timing is always perfect. It's always perfect. When we recognize that Jesus is always the preeminent, he always goes first. 
This morning, I want us to take communion. And they can begin to pass it out. Just hold it for a second. It's a shame we have to turn the air conditioning on in November. But when we recognize, he always goes first. He'll always reveal himself. Always, always first in the need, in the answer, in the circumstance. Sometimes he's, we don't see him because we're looking somewhere else, right? We looked for him in the thunder, and he wasn't there. We looked for him in the earthquake, and he wasn't there. We looked for him in the storm clouds, and he wasn't there. But in the still, small, small whisper, he's there. Sometimes we can convince ourselves he's not there, but he is. This morning, as we take this bread and we take this cup, I don't remind you that before he formed the foundations of the earth, he knew you. Before you were born, scratch that. Before America existed, scratch that. Before he formed the foundations of the earth, he knew you. There is no circumstance or problem or heartache that you're going through that he didn't know about. There is no surprise to your life when it comes to him. There is no disappointment that he won't, that his love doesn't cover. There is no set of circumstances or thoughts or comments or behavior that you have done that has somehow thwarted his plan for your life. Nothing shocks him. Nothing surprises him. He knew this moment would arrive before he even spoke to the darkness. And in spite of all of that, he died on that cross. In spite of all of that, in spite of the numerous times in which I ignored his urgings to do something or to not do something, in spite of the times that I decided to be so selfish and I did what I wanted to do, when I consciously knew God was telling me not to do it, in spite of the times that my heart was so hard, my words were so harsh as I went out and I, and I angrily yelled at God because I wasn't getting my way. None of those things, none of those things stifled, stymied, resisted His persistent love for us. None of them. And with those in full knowledge, He went to that cross. He took that whip. He took the cursing. He took the spitting. He took the mocking. Worse than all of that, he took the three days in utter darkness away from his heavenly father. He endured hell in a way none of us can fathom. None of us. Forever is forever. And up until that moment, God the Father and God the Son had spent it together forever. For those three days, for the first time in true history, they were apart. Jesus spent those three days in utter darkness to do what? To say, I love you. To do what? To save us from utter darkness. Leprosy is nothing compared to the salvation of our souls. Nothing. And I'm conscious of the fact that maybe only one out of ten of us 
will ever develop a disposition of gratitude in which we go, God, I'm doing something because you did something. But as we take the bread, break it just as he did on that night he said to those followers of Jesus this is my body and it's broken took that symbolic unleavened bread and he said just as life was sustained in the desert for your ancestors through this manna so will life be sustained through my sacrifice you're looking for strength that doesn't make sense. You're looking for direction that doesn't make sense. You're looking for hope that doesn't make sense. It's found in the broken body of Jesus Christ because it doesn't make sense. Why would a God who could have started all over choose to die to save us? Why would a God who could have said, check that off, let's try again allow himself to endure such pain and hostility by the very ones he's created. Why? It's a love we can't comprehend, but it is a love that we should receive. It's a love that we should embrace. It's a love that we should welcome because it is a love unlike any other love. We'll never find anything to compare to the love of Jesus Christ. He took that bed. He said, this is my body and it's broken for you. Every time you do it, do it in remembrance of me. Let's take the bread. Then he took the cup and he said, this is my blood spilled for the remission of sins. So before that time, they had to take spotless lamb, an innocent lamb, sacrifice its life for our wrongs. Jesus' blood was not only innocent, but it was eternal. Because he had no earthly father. The blood that pumped through his veins was eternal blood. No error, no weakening, no aging. None of those things. It's that blood that was spilt. That's the blood that was sacrificed. That's why it's eternal. That's why there's never been a need for a sacrifice since. He is the sacrifice to end all sacrifices. So this is my blood spilt for the remission of our sins. Jesus wasn't killed. He gave up his life. It's a big difference. We live in a country where soldiers die so we might live free. Jesus gave his life so that we might live. Gave it because they couldn't take it. It's that blood that allows us to be healed. It's that blood that allows us to recognize that what happens in heaven can happen on earth. That healing, the deliverance, the hope for the hopeless, that's in heaven. Because of Jesus, we can have access to it on earth. He took that blood, he prayed, he said, God, bless this cup. Bless it. That the sacrifice that Jesus made on that cross unified us with him just as he is one with the Father. That Jesus, the, even the option of adopting your disposition doesn't happen without the cross. Taking this cup 
associates me not only with your death, but with your life. And I want to live like you. I want to love like you. I want to forgive like you. I want to serve like you. He took the cup. He said, do this in remembrance of me. I'm going to ask the worship team to lead us in a song. And as they do, this is all I want to do. You can stand, you can sit, you can kneel. I want you to take a moment and I want you to ask, if you're here and you go, I want, I need a grateful heart. I'm going to pray in just a second that if you're searching to change your stance, right? Baseball is my favorite sport. In baseball, when you get into a slump, you know what they tell you to do? Change your stance. Maybe you're in a slump. Maybe you're frustrated. Maybe you're discouraged. Maybe you're anxious. Right? Maybe, maybe you're depressed. Maybe you feel like, you know what? God's got no point to my life right now. This morning, I'm going to challenge you. Change your stance. Change it. Take that posture and say, God, I need my feet to be rooted in gratitude. And I, only the Holy Spirit can do that. Ain't no sermon going to reveal that to you. Only the Holy Spirit can reveal that to you. Only the Holy Spirit can open up your eyes to reveal to you what He wants you to focus on, what He wants you to meditate on. To stir up a grateful heart. A grateful heart. And as we do that, like I said, the only way that I can think to make it interactive is to put the offering at the end. Right? This is for you to take the moment and say, you know what? Maybe I've never given my offering from a position of gratitude. Maybe I just, this is my 10%. I got to put it in there. Maybe even, even with a great heart of responsibility, you love this place and you write it and you're a cheerful giver. This morning, I want you to stop for a moment and say, I want it to be out of gratitude. I want to be out of gratitude. Right? That's what they call it. You know what? I, as I was preparing for this, I, one of the things I kept thinking is, I go to this donut shop down the street. And when I pay with my debit card, the screen pops up and it says, gratuity. Right? Do you know what the first number option I get? 15%. 10%'s not even continued, considered gratuitous anymore. 15% for my donut. You know? And I'm, like I said, I'm one of those suckers. Like, 20%. Paid four dollars for a donut and four dollars for a tip, you know. Why though? Why do they call it that? Why is it gratuitous? It's a response. It's a response. We can never pay back what he's done for us. It's not what it's about. It's about saying, right now, I want to begin the process of being a grateful disciple of Jesus Christ, one who reciprocates. None of us can reciprocate in equal. None of us can't give God anything close to what he's given me. But I can give what I give out of, out of a grateful heart. I can sing out of a grateful heart. I can embarrass myself. Maybe I don't sing good. Maybe it's weird to raise my hands, close my eyes. Whatever it is, do it out of a grateful heart. Respond. Allow your spiritual posture to have an impact on your physical life. Amen. Father, I thank you, Lord Jesus.
God, I, I thank you for what you've done in my life. I thank you, God, for the family that you've given to me, for my wife, for my daughter, for my two sons. I thank you, God. I could not have written a better life for myself than the one that you have written for me. God, not everything's perfect, but I am so grateful for what it is. I'm grateful for my parents, for my in-laws. God, I'm grateful for this church family. I thank you, God, that I get to come to church every week and be excited to see everybody here. Thank you, God, that you have surrounded us by such a great cloud of witnesses. May our faith stir up each other. May we learn, Lord Jesus, to be grateful. May we have a position and a stance in which everything we do is from a heart of gratitude, God. Because you did something you didn't have to do. And you did it for us. And for that, God, we want to glorify you. For that, God, we want to fall at your feet and worship you. For that, God, we want to shout it from the rooftops that you are good. You are good to us. In Jesus' name. As Micah leads the worship team in this song, I invite you to find a place to worship. I invite you, if you brought your offering, your tithes today, to come up and to put it in the, in the, in the whatever this is. <laughs> but out of a demonstration of gratitude. God bless you, church. God bless you, and I pray that if you didn't feel thankful this week, I pray that the Holy Spirit will open up your eyes to see the reasons why you have a reason to be thankful. Amen.
hearts that full of gratitude Lord not even so much what you've done but that's a part of it but for who you are as well Lord God we thank you for your faithfulness we thank you for your love that is immeasurable Lord God we thank you for your grace that was undeservable we love you Lord God we praise you we praise you we thank you Lord I pray that let our gratitude our, our grateful hearts would not cease from when this service ends but Lord we'd find ourselves giving you thanks throughout the rest of the day taking time to recognize Lord your hand in our life Amen Amen Thank you Lord Just two just two really quick things is that okay and then we're going to close here I know we're right there on the time but where's Tisai? is Tisai here here he is. Tisai, I just want I just 
I saw you before and I just felt like God spoke two words into my heart that I want to share with you. And uh, honestly, I'm, they don't mean anything to me, but I, but I pray that they do to you. And, and the two words were, let go. And I believe the context of it is that God's calling you to something that is very unique and is very specific for you. And it's something that probably no one else in this room could do. There's, there's a calling of God on your life that, that you're stepping into and that God's going to start to work in and, and through your life. And, and uh, I believe there's a sense like when, and it, it's not a small thing. It, it's, a, it's one of those big things. It's almost like a Peter stepping out of the boat big thing. Like none of the other disciples wanted to try it kind of thing. But Peter had the, the guts. Peter had the courage to say, Jesus, if that's you, tell me to come. And Jesus says, come on. And I feel like there's a call of God on your life to step out of the boat, to let go of the boat, to let go of what might be maybe a sure thing, maybe a place of confidence for so many others, but I believe God's bringing you to a place of faith that others may not ever walk, but He's calling you into it. Amen. So I hope that speaks to you and encourages you. Can we just pray for, for Tisai? Lord God, we thank you for this young man. Lord, I thank you for the call of God that's on his life. Lord, I thank you for your faithfulness in his life, Lord, so far. And Lord, for the days that are to come. Lord, and I pray, Lord, that as the days go forward, Lord, that whatever it is, Lord, that's in your heart for him, Lord, that you'd begin to bring clarity to it. Lord, that you'd begin to show him, Lord, specifically what this looks like and what that looks like. And Lord, I pray, Lord, that, that he would hear those words like Peter heard those words. Come on. Come on, Peter. Come on, Tisai. Lord, I pray, Lord, that you would, Lord, guide his every step, Lord, that he would step out on the sureness of your word. And we thank you for this young man, Lord, we just pray a blessing upon him. And we thank you for it in the name of Jesus. Amen. Amen. And I said two things. The last one is, please, everybody, if you see Bella anywhere, happy birthday, Bella. Have a great, this is a, an amazing young woman of God. Anyway, can we do something really kind of corny right now? Sing happy birthday to Bella. Amen. Happy birthday to you. Happy birthday to Happy birthday, dear Bella. Happy birthday to you. Hip, hip. Hooray. Hip, hip. Hip, hip. Awesome. Have an awesome day, everybody. new mercy for me every day.